Matthew chapter 16, last verse, and then we'll go into chapter 17. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have together. Pray your blessing upon your word. And again, Lord, just bless your truth to our ears as we interact and share with one another. And learn, Father, we pray that we would just grow in the grace and knowledge of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, last week in chapter 16, we were looking at Jesus warning the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees, they thought it was because they didn't bring bread. And Jesus said, you guys are slow of faith, not understanding that he was talking about their doctrine and the things that they believe. I talked about how important it is, what we believe. Um, so it's not only important that we know what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. And I think that's when we're ready to defend the faith, when we know why we believe what we believe. Um, Peter would answer Jesus' question about who do men say that I am? And then he goes to the disciples, who, but who do you say that I am? And the contrast where some people were saying he was, you know, John the Baptist, he was that prophet from Moses, he was Elijah. And um, Peter would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonas, son, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then he says, hey guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed. And the religious leaders are going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise on the third day. And Peter, you know, in a moment of defending Jesus, he says, Lord, not on my watch. And, and Peter takes him aside, you know, and lets him know that he's not going to do this. And then in that moment, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't know what spirit you are of. And so I think for us, learning that in one moment we can be inspired by God, and in the next moment we can unfortunately be influenced by the devil or the enemy. And so we need to be careful as we walk in the spirit. And then um, he ends, let's see, with... Just this awesome, one of my favorite sections, you know, that last section of Matthew chapter 16, where he says, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, and then whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But notice the last verse in chapter 16. He says, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Chapter 17, we'll see exactly that. So Jesus in his glory will be revealed to the disciples. And so we go on now, Matthew 17, verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led him up on a high mountain by themselves. So these are the three inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, right? They go a little further with Jesus than the other twelve, and definitely than the seventy. Um, what are your thoughts? Why do you think Jesus would take these three a little further? To see things that the other ones didn't get to experience. Well, those three were kind of in the inner circle. He had the three. We'll put them in the inner circle. Maybe he thought that they were more capable of learning more and doing a better job. Okay. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah. There's two schools. Some people think that they were such knuckleheads that he needed to keep them as close to them as possible because they'd get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Remember with James and John, you had the Sons of Thunder who would 
It's called lightning down from heaven to be able to wipe out, you know. The, the, and then Peter, of course, was, you know, a big old fisherman, known guy, and he was always, you know, speaking uh, up and speaking for the people. Um, I, I, my personal belief is that I, I believe ministry is God's excuse to get close to us. And I think these guys, as Steve hinted, uh, had a desire to go a little further, and so Jesus took them a little further. Because the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. And I think if you're willing to go deeper and further with God, then he'll say, come on, son, come on, daughter, let's go deeper and further. I'm not going to deny you. If that's your desire, that is a godly desire, right? That's, that's born in the spirit. That's born in heaven. And so I don't think God would deny somebody who wants to go further and deeper with him. And so that's just my personal view. Again, you know what? Maybe he can see their potential and can see into the future as to what they're going to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he would take them further by, by uh, they would be the three that would see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. He would take them further because they would be the three in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And then there's another episode where he would take them, including Andrew. I forgot what episode that was, but, you know, Peter, James, and John are definitely that inner circle. So he takes them on a high mountain by themselves. And so we don't know exactly which this mountain is, with whether it's Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor or whatever, one of the other high mountains, but it's a high mountain. And anytime we see that in the scriptures, recognize that a mountaintop experience means something. They're going to have a mountaintop experience with God, right? They're going to see something that is a high in their life, spiritually speaking. And I think the Lord wants to give us those things as well. He wants to give us mountaintop experiences where we have these incredible experiences with him <clears throat> and so there they are verse 2 and he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light mark's gospel would say his clothes were whiter than any launderer could wash white clothes you know uh, but notice it's not just his clothes his appearance on the outside of what he's wearing, but its face is as bright as what? The sun. Can you look into the sun for very long? Not without damaging your eyes, right? So imagine just this, this light, this bright light that is like emanating from God, from Jesus. And what's happening is, it's not so much the miracle of this Mount of Transfiguration. It's more a miracle that Jesus veiled this every day. So I think here Jesus just unveiled. He just showed them what he was really all about. And so this is his glory. This is his, you know, Shekinah, if you will. And um, they get to see it. That word transfigured in the Greek is from which we get our English word metamorphosis. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a change. There's something like, whoa, we've never seen Jesus like this. Right in front of us. He's just transfigured right before our very eyes. And so this is a big deal. And something that's just awesome. That he said, come on, let's go up on the mountain. And you guys are going to see something awesome. Verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And so Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. Moses would be the representative of all that was just legal and the law, the five books of Moses. The, it's called the, the Pentateuch, right? It's called the Torah, the first five books of Moses. 
And so he represents that aspect of the first covenant, the Old Testament. Elijah would be the representative of the uh, prophets. And so you have the law and the prophets. And I think it's the gospel of Luke that tells us what they were actually talking about. They're talking about the death of Jesus Christ. They're talking that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. I'm sure in there is included the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, you really, you know, Jesus is just a great leader that died. Just like another great leader, right? But when you have the resurrection, woo, separates Jesus from everybody else. And so with that, you see that they're talking. Now, there's no introductions. Hey, uh, Moses, come here. Uh, Moses, I want you to introduce you to Peter, James, and John. You know, Peter, James, and John is Moses. Shake hands, hug, kiss on the cheek, Middle East, whatever they do, right? No, nothing like that. All right, Peter, James, and John, this is Elijah, Elijah. Somehow they know. And is Moses and Elijah alive or dead? They're, they're dead. They've died, but they're alive here on this Mount of Transfiguration. And so I like that, that scripture that says that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So we're alive forevermore when we believe in God. And so, though we die physically, we get to live forever spiritually. Um, Moses and Elijah are some interesting cats. Anybody remember who buried Moses? God, uh, the angels. God buried Moses. Good job, Mark. Yeah, the last set of verses in the book of, let's see, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the last Deuteronomy book of the Torah, the fifth book, um, it talks about Moses was like, was he ready to die? No, he was like vibrant, like, woo, how did Moses miss it? Rinse represented God, right? Instead of speaking to the rock the second time, he struck the rock, giving the impression to the nation of Israel that God was mad at them. God wasn't mad at them because they were thirsty. They wanted they were complaining. That's not good, right? But Moses was like fed up with the people. Do I do I have to fetch rock for you or water for you out of this rock? And he strikes it. And God said, Speak to the rock. And so he messes up the typology, right? Jesus would the rock who was the rock, 1 Corinthians 10, would be struck once. And then forevermore, we just speak. We speak to Jesus. We don't have to to be crucified again. Messes up the pipe there. Also, Moses representing the law, can the law take you into the promised land? Nope, only Joshua can take you into the promised land. Joshua is the Hebrew name for what Greek would name? Jesus. Only Jesus could take you into the promised land. So Moses, the law, can't take you into the promised land. Joshua would take them into the promised land. So not a lot of neat, you know, things in the Bible that we study and learn. Moses, Elijah, uh, very unique ministry, right? A lot of miracles. Um, Great miracle, of course, calling fire down from heaven, right? That showdown on Mount Carmel, right? And so we have these two witnesses that are coming back in the book of Revelation chapter 11. Those Two witnesses are going to perform four different sets of miracle. Two of them belong to Moses. Two of them belong to Elijah. It's crazy. I think it's Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses. We know that Elijah's coming back. Why? Because the last verse in the book of, in the Old Testament prophesies that before the great and coming day of the Lord, the day of terror, I will send my prophet Elijah. Right? 
So we know that that is definitely speaking of Elijah before the tribulation in that period. Okay? So that's who's there talking to Jesus about Jesus' upcoming death. Hopefully resurrection is included in that. Then we go to verse 4. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> the other two Gospels, Mark and Luke, tell us why Peter said this. Why did Peter say this? He couldn't think of anything else to say. And it says that. It's almost like he's nodding off, right? No, I got Moses. Jesus is never here. Let's build a temporary housing, a tabernacle, a tent, booth. Like in the, the celebration of the booths. That's exactly the word that he uses. Let's build a temporary tent. Like one for you and one for Blaise and one for Moses. Right? What did he do there? He put Jesus on the same plane as the law and the prophets. Can we do that? No, Jesus supersedes the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. All the law, all of the prophets are pointing to Jesus. He is superior over the law and the prophets. While he was still speaking, verse 5, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and suddenly a voice came out, of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice what he says at the end. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Don't put Him on the same level as the law and the <coughs> prophets. He's over the law and the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. So he interrupts, it says, Peter. So God the Father interrupts Peter and says, Peter, stop. <laughs> this is my beloved son, and who I am well pleased, hear him, listen to him. And so just an interesting little dynamic of what's taking place there, that we would be careful to make sure that when we study the Bible, when we read and learn these wonderful truths that we learn, that we don't learn them just for head knowledge. We don't learn them just for the sake of... Um, growing in knowledge, but that we actually understand that they all point to Jesus. It says in two verses in the Bible, one's in Psalm 40, another one in the book of Hebrews, Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, speaking of Jesus. Everything points to Jesus, okay? So where the reason we study the Bible, the reason we come to the Word of God, is so that we can learn how to relate better to Jesus, so we can have greater understanding of who Jesus is, and we can love Him better, know how much He loves us, and all of that. Okay? Um, verse 6, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Good response. <laughs> but Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only, the one they needed to see. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And they, they did hold it. Peter writes about this in his epistle, and um, he says he saw the glory of God. He saw the glory. And so just a neat little 
episode and incident for these guys to never ever forget. Um, and his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. And so, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, but Elijah is literally going to come back before the tribulation is over. He'll be there in the first half. And Jesus is telling us right here that he's going to come back. And it's prophesied again in Malachi, the last chapter, chapter 5. Um, I find it interesting with that prophecy that Elijah is going to come back. His ministry is going to be to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And isn't it weird that today... How many fathers are absent as it relates to their children? Just a trip, how that's going to take place. <clears throat> There's a scripture in um, Jude, verse 9. It's a one-chapter book. But it, it's a, just this awkward, like, why did the Holy Spirit put that verse there, right? It says, When Michael the archangel was contending with the body of Moses... He dared not bring a reviling accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so you're like, well, we know that the last chapter in Deuteronomy, it is God that buried Moses. Why would he have to then the archangel, this, this high-ranking angel fighting with Satan, have to be fighting over the body of Moses? Ah, maybe because that body's coming back in Revelation chapter 11. That's why I believe it's Moses. It could be anybody. But I think it's Moses and Elijah. Any thoughts on that? You don't have to believe me. Um, verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my, on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Um, the other two Gospels that speak of this boy, uh, the word is um, moonstruck, lunatic. So moonstruck is the Greek word that this boy suffers from epileptic attacks, but it's a demonic thing. Does everybody who have epilepsy demonic attacks? No, no, no. This boy is... Uh, affected by a demon, and he has seizures. And he throws them into the fire, and he throws them into the water, and so that's all just the demonic destruction that the enemy wants to bring to this little boy's life. I do struggle with the fact that it is a boy, and I don't know how that works. I don't know if the parents were involved in something that they had no business being involved in. I, I, don't, I don't know the demonology of all that. Study of demons, it's kind of it's a trip, but... Take that for whatever it's worth. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless, he's speaking about his disciples. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Uh, we looked at last week the contrast between faith and faithlessness, or faith and unbelief, and God never responds more um, 
graphic in all of the scriptures that those two things, faith and unbelief. You'll never get a harsher reality from God with unbelief. You'll never get a stronger, just, oh, God coming at you in a good way when you walk by faith. And faith is the language of the Christian. It's the language of eternity. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so we're called to walk by faith. And I believe that God grows our faith. I believe that at the beginning, when we first give our lives to the Lord, man, there's a lot of things that we just don't know, a lot of things that we're growing in, our understanding of this whole dynamic realm and just all this stuff. But God knows where we're at. God knows that we're, you know, starting out, if you will, right, in our faith. And so... God is able to give us what we need, and He's just, man, He's just so gentle and gracious and kind, and just, but at some point, God says, okay, son, okay, daughter, come on now, walk with me. Come on, grab my hand, let's go, I'm leading you, I'm, I'm going before you. I'm walking in front of you, I'll always walk in front of you, so that you can see the path that I'm lighting for you. I've said this a long, like, throughout my walk, but I haven't said it for a long time. God shines the light on the next step that we are to take in life. And when we walk in the light that He's providing for that one step, then He promises to shine the light on the very next step for us. We, at times, want to say, Alright God, go ahead. I'm ready. Give me the five-year plan. Light it up. And the reason we do that, of course, is yeah, I don't like where that's going. Alright, never mind. I'll just stay here or whatever. God says, that's not how I work. I work like this in all of my kids' lives. I will light up the next step that you are to walk in. You, by faith, take that step in the light that I'm providing for you. We feel like, it's. i got to step over the Grand Canyon. No, <laughs> no. It's, it's a step. It's just, you know, it's just, however long your gate is, that's the step. But he's going to light up that very next step. And then he'll light up the next one. And he'll light up the next one. And so we're called to walk in the light that God provides. We're called to walk by faith and trust. But he's building that trust too. He's building that trust. Um, I forgot what the word is, but like epic faith, epic blessing. Like, like gigantic, just trust. And God just, gigantic, God comes at you. It's just, you can't out, out give that recipe, that remedy that God has. And so, Lord, I want to experience big things. Then take big steps of faith in the light that He's providing. Step out. What's on your heart? What are the desires of your heart? Step out and see what door God's open. And He'll shut a door that no man can open. And He'll open doors that no man can shut I don't like the prosperity gospel because I think it's a lie. I don't like that God intends us to only be healthy, never sick, wealthy, and wise, I guess, the three, the three are. Um, nothing wrong with being healthy. Of course, we all want to be healthy, right? We appreciate health. Nothing wrong with being wealthy in and of itself. Um, and nothing wrong with gaining knowledge and being wise. But... I think we have a lot to learn through adversity. And I think we'd, we'd, 
We don't know the scriptures if we think that everybody is always supposed to never be sick. Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times. And it was a physical ailment. And he asked that God would remove it. And God told him, nope. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Something he didn't want to go through. And God said, nope. So, I think it's important for us that whatever God's will is, it's way better than what we can come up with. And God knows what we can handle. And I truly believe that success is far more trying than is a series of trials. When you have a series of trials, you got nowhere to go. You're like, stop, stop, gotta look to God, gotta trust the Lord. But when things are like just smooth sailing and there's like all bills paid, everything's coming in, you know, life is just great. A lot of times that's a greater trial because we forget God in those moments. And so if we can hold on to God in the midst of the blessings, then I think that's something to be said. So, oh, faithless, hi, Brian, generation. Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the, de- oh, I read that, uh, and it came out. Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith of a mu- as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. I find this verse interesting because Jesus had told, I think it was the scribes that came to him and said, why do our disciples and the disciples of John the Baptist fast, but your disciples don't fast? And he said, shall the disciples fast while the bridegroom is with them? But when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. Okay? So, Jesus is now letting them know. And I believe it's got to be preparatory. He's letting them know for preparation's sake. To prepare them so that when he does leave, that they understand fasting should be part of your lifestyle. You should fast regularly. And why these only come out in fasting and prayer, I, I don't think it's because we're any greater when we fast, but I think we are more sensitive when we fast. Um, there's this spiritual connectedness that we have with God when we're able to deny our flesh and um, deny something that it rightfully deserves, food, and then pray in the place of, of eating and then look to be a blessing with the meal that we would get to be able to look for somebody else who's in a need of a meal. Like These are all components of proper fasting according to the book of Isaiah. And so when we do those things, there's a greater sensitivity to God and the things of God. And I, I don't think it's so much that, you know, I don't know, it's us. I think it's just we're more sensitive to God. Okay? So just an interesting little dynamic there that's taking place. Any questions on this? Demon possession coming out with prayer and fasting. I've seen the effects of demons. I haven't really battled, I think, personally. I don't know. Scary stuff. I'll leave that to somebody. I have a question though. If, if, if you don't, if you don't open yourself to that realm, is it is, it, is a question more of a question? Uh, like if you don't open yourself to that side, then is it pretty much impossible to be demon possessed? Well, for the Christian, you cannot be demon possessed because the Christian has within us the Holy Spirit dwelling, and God's not you know doing a timeshare. He's right. not 
you know, there part time and then he leaves or anything. Uh, he, Satan ain't going to dwell nowhere where God is. We belong to God. Um, yeah, but if you're like, say, not a Christian and you open up yourself to that realm, a demon can't have you. You have to give it permission. Mm-hmm. And when you do that through sin, especially sin of um, drugs and alcohol are, are a gateway, definitely. There's extreme sexual sin stuff that can take place. Obviously, the occult uh, you're dealing with. You know, Ouija boards, uh, Church of Satan, the, the Satanic Bible, you know, where you're inviting this stuff in. You're, you're almost tempted it to, to, to go ahead and enter. But it's, it's, I don't know how the permission is granted, but there's got to be some way that a person is opening up themselves to this realm. Drugs, because you're under this influence, you're not in your right mind, you're just doing all kinds of dumb stuff. I remember hearing about this rapper, this gangster rapper that had this CD. And on the back of his CD, he had a prayer on the back, backwards. And the only way you could read it is if you took the CD and held it in front of a mirror. And think about it now. Now you're reading it in the mirror. And as you're praying this prayer, you're praying it into yourself. And it was to invite a demon into you. It's pretty demonic. I'm pretty, pretty subtle ploy of the enemy. So... Again, you know, <laughs> there's there's one good realm, God, the Holy Spirit, and then everything else is is just counterfeit. And to what degree, Satan's just about as happy as somebody being in the occult as he is somebody, you know, being hooked on prosperity, living for the dollar. The, the root, the love of money is all, the root of all sorts of evil. The Bible says, and so. You know, you think of somebody who's involved in a religious cult and they're so moral. You know, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness or something like that. And you look at them and you're like, man, you guys don't do a lot of sinful things and yet they're lost. So he don't care how you're lost. He just wants you lost. All right, verse 22. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed in the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day he will be raised and they were exceedingly sorrowful. I think every time Jesus did this, because he does it three times, but every time Jesus does this, I think they hear that first part, and then the rising from the dead. They didn't realize that he would rise from the dead until after he rose from the dead. And then he would tell them, like over and over. And so again, I think for, for us, we have to recognize that we nobody has 100% retention. Nobody hears every Bible study perfectly and takes it all in. There are some people who have photographic memories and they can remember things, but to be able to take something in spiritually. If you've ever taught a book or a section of scripture, you'll be amazed the next time you teach that book or that section of scripture, you'll be like, I didn't even know that was here. Is that here? I I taught this. Where where would that come from? You know, the Holy Spirit is constantly just teaching you new stuff and looking at it from a different angle. And you're in a different place in your life, right? Before you might have been studying it, and you're going through the hard trial, and then now you're all you're glorious, and it's like, well, look at these promises, you know, or something. So, just a trip. How they didn't really catch that until, um, like, the women were the first ones to the tomb. The women to the first ones to the tomb is, is proof that Jesus rose from the dead, and that it's not some man writing the Bible. Why? Women's testimonies didn't even count. If somebody's making this story up, would would they have the heroes be people that don't even their testimony doesn't even count? Be like a dog showing up to the to the tomb. 
to confirm that Jesus rose from the dead. They were nothing. They were the outcasts of society, women. And they would be the first ones to show up to the tomb. And they would have to go to the disciples. And they would have to say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And, and you've seen the ghost. You guys have seen, like, maybe see a soft phantom or something, right? They still wouldn't believe it. And then John and, is it Peter? John and Peter run to the grave and John outruns Peter. And John, in John's gospel, he tells us that he outran Peter. you got to let us know that. Verse 24, one of my favorite little just vignettes, little tiny little sections in the scriptures, because this is so like the God that we serve. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes, yeah, of course he does, yeah. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. So Jesus already knows what Peter did. Peter don't even say nothing, saying, uh, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Neat little story, right? Um, Capernaum is important that we see. It's my understanding that Jesus and Peter were the only ones from Capernaum. I remember that uh, Jesus sees uh, John and Peter on the right with their father fishing when he calls them. So we don't know what temple Texas is, whether it's the local Capernaum or the, the, the main one or whatever. But nonetheless, they're, they ask Peter, hey, um, don't you guys pay the, pay the temple tax? And Peter just decides to answer Jesus. Yeah, of course we do! Yeah! Alright, is that the right thing to do? I think it was the right thing to do. Of course, we're always doing what's right. And then he goes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't even ask him what's going on. Jesus just begins to tell him, Hey Peter, so say there's a king, and that king has a kingdom, and he's going to have tribute, or taxes, so that he can run the kingdom. Is he going to collect that money from his kids? Or is he going to go from the citizens, the public, his servants in the community? Oh, oh well, of course he's going to go to the public, and that's who's going to pay the taxes to be able to support the king and the palace and the kingdom, right? Yeah, yeah. See, Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm the king. I'm definitely the kid of the king, because the king is my, my dad. But you know what? We don't want to offend, unnecessarily on this occasion. Because Jesus didn't care to offend. The gospel is an offense in and of itself. Um, but so that we don't offend, you know, Peter, do this. Remember that thing I kind of came up to you when you were fishing with your dad and your brother, and I called you to ministry, and I said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But you know that passion, that thing of passion that you have, that thing that you love to do? You know what? What the heck? Just for fun's sake. Why don't you go throw a hook? into the ocean. And the first fish you get, pull it up. It's going to have a coin in its mouth. And I just see that as like, like God just saying, son, you keep loving it, but I just keep loving you. <laughs> and, and, and I want to have you do something that I know you love to do. Something that's just more fun for you than, you know, you can imagine. So do this. I'll bet you you've never done this, Peter. I'll bet you've never caught a fish with a silver dollar. 
But today you are. The first fish that gets on your hook is going to be what? Can you imagine the miracle? Now, there are fish that are attracted to, I was listening to this message, that are attracted to shiny objects in the ocean. And they find all of these metallic, shiny things, sometimes coins, but other shiny things in this one type of fish. And I mean, think of God and his creation and his imagination. And I mean, if he could make a fish to swallow his prophet Jonah that would hold on to him for three days so that he can come to his senses and spit him out on the beach so that he can, oh, I guess I'm going to Nineveh to preach, right? I mean, he can make a fish that can swallow a coin and Peter can throw his hook in the ocean and find that one fish that had the coin and just an awesome miracle. For me, it's kind of like if God said, I just want you to go play baseball with some people and have some fun. And when we went to the Yucatan, we got to do that. And I played baseball with these kids in this, you know, in this remote forest and they had it all. It was a baseball field. Of all things, you know, and I got to play baseball. I'm like, Lord, you know, let me go to the Yucatan Peninsula, this tribe, and just be able to play baseball with these. And of course, they were all better than me, and they were all seven and eight years old, and they were a bomb. I did hit a home run, though. So if you hit a home run in those huts, that's a home run. If you hit the trees in that forest, that's a home run. And so, you know, feel like a hero, like, But that's our God, just to let us do fun stuff like that, just to go back and. Let's do so. Questions, comments, concerns. Matthew chapter 17. When he says, um, verse 17. Read it. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? When he's telling his disciples because they couldn't cast out this demon, he wants them to get it. And this shows that Jesus definitely was frustrated with his disciples. And I think I think all of us can probably relate to this because have you ever tried to teach somebody and you're like, you should know this by now. Like, you should be learning this stuff. I think that's his sentiment. What's your question on it? Um, it just sounds very mad to me. Yeah. You know? The Bible said in the book of Proverbs, open rebuke is better than silent love. And so, in our Western culture, we don't like to be told stuff. We definitely don't like to be told stuff in public. Right? We perceive that as rude. But the Bible says love is not rude, so we know that Jesus being loved wasn't rude. It's corrective. He loves you, and he's going to tell you to your face when you do something wrong. Take it like a big boy, take it like a big girl. Um, I think we have a lot of sensitivities in our culture, and I think we're ultra-sensitive. God doesn't care. He loves us so much. He'll tell us when we're not getting it. I mean, just think about any spanking. Every single one of us as a Christian hopefully has been spanking. Right? Think of any spanking you've gotten from God. It's always corrective and it's always in love. And it sure does get your attention, doesn't it? Whoa! Oh, I captain. Got it. <laughs> you know? You just know that it was your Heavenly Father spanking you. And to me, this is, a, this is a point of discipline for them to be able to learn. Jesus knows that he's not going to be with them much longer. And he knows that he's going to go. And so he wants them to get these lessons. But if, just on thought of that too, we don't know the tone of how he said that. Too. Right. Mm -hmm. Just reading words. It could have been 
tone of like not in anger, mm-hmm. but like like in really shake your head, yeah, yeah like really, yeah. yeah. And then my Spanish started picking out. I don't, I don't. So Lord, I pray that we would never uh, shy away from your correction, and that we would just continue <coughs> to desire you to lovingly, Lord, uh, chasten us. That we would grow by those things, and that's what a disciple is, and that's what being disciplined is, Lord. A, a disciple is disciplined. And so I pray, Father, that as we continue to sit under your word, that we would grow um, spiritually, that we would grow in understanding, that we would grow in obedience, uh, that we would just continue to uh, be able to take those things that you teach us and teach others. And that shows our faithfulness, Lord, with what you give us. And so we just pray that you would continue to have your hand upon our lives, Lord, and just guide us, direct us, lead us, uh, for we desire, Lord, to uh, be led by you. I pray that we would step in the light that you are providing for us, that we would step out if we're not sure and just allow you, Lord, even as we move out, step out, that you would uh, guide us in that way. So thank you so much for just all that you do in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.